0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au Today we're going to step through into Revelation chapters 10 and 11 and today we're going to see a really beautiful opportunity here that God gives to us and calls upon us in these really difficult days we're living in, in many respects, uh, to partner with Jesus in this glorious mission of the Gospel. The reason we gather here today uh, is because Christ has called us into His Kingdom and we come now to grow in the truth of that Word but also not just keep it to ourselves but actually let that pass on uh, to those we know as family and friends and, and he's, Christ is going to call us again to that today in Revelation 10 11 so uh, Amelia read for us so wonderfully well there we're going to follow that on now uh, chapter 11 so if you've got your Bibles there please go to verse 1 and we're going to read verses 1 through 14 again as we continue to set the scene here for what's taking place in uh, Revelation so Revelation chapter 11 These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they finished their testimony... "...the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb." And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. God, thank you. Thank you today that as uh, we come to this mysterious book that you've written and inspired for us. Uh, Lord, a book that we don't fully comprehend, but Lord, you do... Uh, give us enough understanding to see here that this book is all about the gospel. This book is a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. We ask and pray today that Holy Spirit you would come now, uh, open up our hearts and minds to see what's happening here in chapters 10 and 11 and that you would urge us and encourage us on into the mission Lord of telling people this great and glorious message of Christ, Lord, of telling them to uh, flee, as it were, from the wrath to come, from your judgment that is coming to this world uh, on a day that you have set aside for that. Give us help now we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, we've been covering a lot of ground the last few weeks, uh, some of these chapters we go through pretty quick. Um, Uh, A quick recap, John's exiled on on the island of Patmos because of following Jesus and calling him Lord. Uh, Then we see seven letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, And then John moves on to that by giving us a really big foundation of chapter 4 of this sovereignty of God. So when you think everything's out of control and I feel like everything's crushing in on me... Just remember that God is sovereign. So John lays that down for us in chapter 4. Chapter 5 we see the centre of this focus move from God as in sovereign to this lion-like lamb who comes out and takes this scroll. And he becomes the focus of Revelation, that is Jesus. Uh, From there we move into seven seals of judgment, we saw that the other week and then we saw another perspective of the same judgment, this time with seven trumpets of judgment and today we're actually going to see the seventh trumpet being blown for us. So there's a bit of a recap we've been over the last few weeks, again John's writing to these churches in Asia Minor that are suffering varying degrees of persecution, simply for following Jesus and calling Him their Lord. Uh, Many of them in these churches are feeling confused, Uh, they're feeling weak, they're feeling cornered, they're feeling crushed, they're feeling like things are opposing them. Some of them are actually wilting as it were and compromising with this world but Jesus wrote in those letters to enable them to conquer, to rise up in boldness and Mm courage and to conquer and that is what John is doing here through this book of Revelation. To encourage them, he's writing to them, to strengthen them with the solid hope and truth of of who Jesus is to build them up so they will persevere in their faith, in their faith, not something physically they can see but in their faith, in the belief of who Christ is. And what we find here, uh, basically right in the middle of the book of Revelation, we actually find an interlude, it's like a bit of a pause, it's a bit of a gap here in the middle and it's just before the seventh trumpet is about to be blown. And in some ways, what's happening here, it's like it's a refocusing on the mission that God has given to us as we await for Jesus to return. It's like John puts this sort of pause here for us to sort of just stop and refocus on this mission. It's a chance to catch our breath and to stay on task uh, for the mission that's before us here's our big idea that'll shape where we're going to go today and it's this, Uh, in the light of the second coming, so in the understanding and the knowing of the second coming of Jesus, we must be a people willing, willing to sacrifice all for the mission of the gospel. Now that'll be a hard call in Western culture, we're not big on sacrificing stuff in Western culture, we're big on comforting ourselves and lining ourselves with comfort, we're not big on sacrifice, it's a very um, uh, strong theme through the New Testament. Okay, so in this interlude we see a reset, it's a reset for these suffering saints here of these seven churches of what John has been showing, uh, sharing with them to encourage them. This reset here, as it were, for these seven churches and for us today, starts with the message of the Gospel. In Revelations 10, before when Amelia read for us, uh, John sees this mighty angel who thunders out this message... But John's not allowed to record that for us. He's told there, do not write what has been said. Okay, there's, there's an element of mystery here that we're not to know about at this point in time. But we also see in verses 6 and 7 that there's no more delay. In other words, in the cause of God's purposes at this time, the delay is over. This mystery is about to be revealed, about to be revealed. And then in verses 8 and 9, chapter 10, John is told to take the scroll from the angel... And to eat it. I'm hoping it was a coffee scroll, I don't think it was a coffee scroll. He's told to take this scroll and to eat it. This scroll contains the message of the mystery of God at this time. John is told that the scroll will taste sweet in your mouth but it will be bitter in your stomach. Sweet in your mouth, bitter in your stomach. Again, what does those sort of things mean? What's the Holy Spirit telling us here? What's John trying to communicate to these people back in Asia Minor nearly 2,000 years ago? Now, we don't fully know God's mystery. We don't don't fully know God's purposes and plans that He has outlaid for the world in fine micro detail. We know some things. But verse 7 tells us there that this mystery will be revealed in those days. It will be revealed. But there are some things that we know about God's message now, what God has for the world. One thing we do know is that God has given us the gospel, God has given us the good news of Christ as part of this mysterious message. Some we do know, some we don't know and what it is, it is the glorious good news of the gospel for hopeless sinners to find salvation in Christ alone through what he has done for them. People like all of us who cannot save ourselves, we like to think we can but we can't, Because Jesus has done what we could never do. We have this glorious good news of the gospel. We actually see a picture of this, of how Paul sees it in Romans chapter 1. He says this in verse 16 of Romans 1. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the gospel that saves us. We understand that part of it. We understand this mystery that has been revealed for us. It's glorious good news. It's actually the best news you can ever hear in this world. You might think of other things that are good news, but that is the best news. Salvation provided by Christ alone. That Jesus took our place upon the cross, doing what we could never do, bearing the sin we could never bear in ourselves, to rescue and to save us. And yes, when you get that, when you understand that, that truth is very sweet. That truth is very sweet in the mouth, It's very sweet in the soul of a believer when they actually understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's a sweet truth. But this message also contains the reality for all those who reject Christ, for all those who turn their back on God, for all those who don't want to have anything to do with God in truth. This message also contains a warning, a warning for us all. And we've seen much of this in Revelation as we've already been going through this book over the the past weeks. And the warning is that there is judgment to come. There is judgment to come. For all those who don't call Jesus Lord, judgment is coming. Now, the warning of judgment isn't where we start with the message of the gospel with people. But at the same time, it's a very integral part of the message It's not something we start with but it's vitally important that we actually hold that in our minds as we are sharing with people. Have a look at this, Paul is sharing with Felix, Paul's in jail about to go before Caesar and he's sharing this with Felix, one of the governors at that time and he says this to Felix in Acts chapter 24, he says this, "'After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus.' And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So there's Paul talking with somebody about faith in Jesus Christ. What's he talk about there? Righteousness, self-control and the coming judgment. When we're talking about the coming judgment, it's an uncomfortable feeling much like the bitterness that John would have experienced in actually digesting this message, as it were, and thinking, that's uncomfortable. I don't really want to talk about judgment. Something to, it's, just, it's difficult, it's hard there. Hear me clearly. We make a massive mistake, we make a massive mistake if we don't speak about judgment purely because I feel uncomfortable talking about that sure it's uncomfortable but if we leave it out we're leaving out a really important part of the gospel message it's right through scripture we can't it's uncomfortable it does sort of put a knot in our stomach when we want to talk about that but we cannot leave that out we don't start with judgment that's not where we start a conversation about Jesus with others but it must be the truth that we talk about even perhaps with a tear in our eye with the sorrow of thinking, what will happen to all those who reject Christ? And let's be clear, for everyone who is truly not trusting in Christ and living in repentance, fearful judgment awaits them. We must hold on to that. Jesus reminds here these seven churches of Asia Minor, there's a message, sweet in the truth of the gospel, but bitter also in the sense of what happens to those who reject Christ. Now, not only we have a message here that John's reminding them somewhat of, but we're also given a mission with this message. John uh, is told in Revelation 10 verse 11, uh, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages. and kings. You must go again, John. You must actually go and speak this out, to declare this out. Be on this mission. And also in chapter 11 we see it as well, although chapter 11 is more difficult to see here what's actually taking place. Again, the reason why it's hard to see is because of the literature and the genre that this book is written in, this apocalyptic uh, literature. It's, It's the challenges here of all these symbols and these signs and this is where things can go all over the place. Let's try and step through this here to try and see that for us. Look in verse 3 there and you'll see two witnesses are brought in by John. You see, there's these two witnesses. Now, remember, in dealing with Revelation, symbolism is really important. Symbolism is really important. Now, the opposite or maybe a different look on that would be people who take this sort of thing literally, take every detail through this book as a literal detail. Because some might say, "Well, well, look, it says two witnesses there. Sure, that just must mean there's two people doing what's said there. It just says two witnesses. When we think about literal, it's, gotta be, it's very challenging for us. See, when you, when you take everything literally, you actually open yourself up to a, a range of multiple different pathways of how you might see this or understand where this lands. Because when you deal literally with some stuff, you must deal literally with Everything. And the challenge there is, where do you start being literal and then when do you stop being literal? Does does it literally mean these two witnesses? So also, if I follow that on literally, do these two witnesses, do they actually breathe out fire like a fire-breathing dragon and they kill these people who come to attack them? Because if you're going to take this literally, well then that's exactly what they do literally, they just breathe out this fire and they kill people. Is that what John's trying to say here? I don't think it is. Here's how I see these two witnesses, thinking again through this apocalyptic genre and its symbolism with all of its heightened intensity to try and communicate something to us. Here's how I see it. In verse 1, we're told there that John is to go and to measure out the temple of God with those who worship in there. Now, that's an important aspect that John's giving us there. What does that mean? Well, if you were to measure something out, it would mean you're taking care to know exactly what you've got and you've got it all lined up and all in order. There's a sense of where God's taking care of this thing. John's trying to symbolise to us here, he's measured out who his people are. He's got them all lined up. He's got them all in order. In other words, God is protecting his people here in signifying this by the temple. Now, you might say, well, how did you get that? Well, if you think about what the temple means right throughout Scripture, the temple is symbolic of God's presence and God's people within that temple. And if you see later on in verse 2, it talks about don't measure the outer courts of the temple because the Gentiles, they're going to trample this area here. So there's this picture here that God's over His people, protecting His people here in His temple, and the world outside will not be able to get at them in that sense, because God is protecting them. So we're thinking about there God's presence, God's people, God with them. Drop this down out of verse four, and we see that these two witnesses are described as two olive trees and lampstands. Again, symbolic. The olive trees are language straight out of the book of Zechariah, which we're not going to go back to today. But if you go back to the book of Zechariah, you'll see there this work of the Holy Spirit sort of spoken about as olive trees and oil flowing down through pipes and into the church, as it were. So the olive trees, the olive trees there is speaking about God's Spirit with His people. John says the two lampstands, these two witnesses, well, what are the lampstands? Well, we've actually already seen what the lampstands are. If you went back to Revelation 2 and 3, John's referring to the seven churches as the seven lampstands. So this is where we've got to think carefully what John's trying to communicate to us as we go through this here. So what are we thinking? If I pull that all together, here's what we land. The two witnesses, I believe, are the church, us... In the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit empowering us for this mission to declare the message of the gospel to all people. They are the witnesses, they are the ones to declare this truth and the fire because we mentioned fire before that comes out of the mouth that defeats their foes is not literal fire just burning everybody to a crisp it's defeating their foes, the fire, is, um, the fire that comes from the mouth that defeats the foes is the truth of God's Word that we speak out, that we declare as a church. And in the power of God's Spirit, what's to do? It exposes all the lies and the false thinking that this world produces. It actually destroys their arguments, it destroys their thinking the truth of God's Word in God's, the power of God's Spirit actually begins to expose the falseness and the lies of this world. That's why I see with these, this lands here with these two witnesses. Now it goes on there, um, the Holy Spirit through the mouths of God's people will be seen to bring about signs and wonders, it talks about that coming from these witnesses here in verse 6. What does that mean when John says that? There's, there's lots of complications through here. Again, there's a picture where John's talking about the stuff that happened really with Moses and Elijah. I mean, Moses did, in God's power, call the plagues of Egypt, upon Egypt, when they were being judged for their rebellion against God. And Elijah, at one stage, did call down fire from heaven on a couple of occasions. And there'll be a sense, sometimes, in God's will, when people will do things under the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Maybe not so much in Western culture, but in third world countries where some things will happen in God's spirit and God's power, well, they, they will declare signs and wonders. Now I've read about it amazingly in conversions of people in third world countries or in harshly persecuted countries where God actually works in that way. Now we're probably not going to see that so much in a Western context or culture, but it will happen according to God's will. Or when does all this happen? When does the church, as the two witnesses here in the power of the Spirit, carry out this mission? If you go through chapter 11, you'll see numbers like 42 months, 1260 days and three and a half days. Again, all of these numbers are very closely related to the book of Daniel, another book that is filled with apocalyptic literature and language in the Old Testament. Go read the last few chapters of Daniel and you think, this sounds like Revelation... There's very direct references going back to the book of Daniel here that John is actually bringing about. Again, uh, this is highly symbolic, it's not literal, it's not three and a half days literally and it's not 1260 days literally, it's not uh, 42 months literally. If you talk about what Daniel's talking about there, it's like he talks about the 70 weeks but really they translate that into 70 times 7 years. So, it's literal, it's, uh, sorry, it's symbolic, it's not literal. So what is the, the time frame that, we, that John's talking about here? I believe that John's talking about this message and this mission as in the age of the church, where we are. This is the church age, this is the age of the church on earth declaring God's uh, message uh, on that mission. Now, having said all that, am I 100% certain on this? No. Does that help you? Probably not. Can anybody be 100% certain of Revelation? No. Does that help you? I hope it does. But again, this week... Uh, Every commentary that I read in preparing for these chapters, and I do lots of reading, let me assure you of that, I do powers of reading. I've read about five or six, maybe seven different commentaries and every one landed on the very same idea. The two witnesses are the church in God's spirit and the time frame is the church age. So I haven't gone out on a limb all on my own Everyone I read landed in exactly the same spot, that we are to carry this mission out up until Jesus returns again. Now, let's think again. What John writes to these churches back then is exactly the same as he writes to us today. He wants to communicate the very same thing. Obviously, they understood it far easier back then, but he wants to tell us the same thing today. John isn't writing to a suffering church, which they were suffering back then, he's not writing to a suffering church back then to give them some sort of mysterious cryptic crossword that they can't unravel or they can't solve. He wasn't trying to write to them to confuse them. He's actually writing to them to build them up and to encourage them. He's using this apocalyptic language to heighten the intensity of this, to encourage them and to stir them. This is what we do, this is the reset, this is the mission. We've got the gospel message and we carry that on right throughout the church age. And we have that same mission today as followers of Jesus. Look again, here's Paul testifying in Acts 26 and he says this. Paul's having, uh, relaying his vision here to uh, some of the, uh, the judges and he says this, And I said, who are you Lord? As Paul sees his vision. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am what? sending you. To do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. What's Paul told there? I am sending you. What's Jesus telling us? I am sending you. To do what? To open up their eyes. To declare that message. message, To pray that God would open their eyes up as we speak that truth out. This is us church, this is the call upon us, this is our mission today as well, as we await the return of Jesus, we are being sent to go and open up their eyes. Okay, what about a motivation? What's going to actually begin to sort of drive us as we see that, as we know that, as we begin to embrace and embark on this, uh, this message with a, uh, on mission? Well, we have a powerful motivation. The glorious hope is the final completion of God's kingdom here on earth. Again, have a look at me in verses 15, 18 of Revelation 11, where he's about to blow the seventh trumpet. And he says this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you've taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyer's of the earth. What is this seventh trumpet here that's being blown in this symbolic language? It's the final end-time judgment. It's the last trumpet call. Judgment is coming. But not only will this final judgment be coming, it's also going to be ushering in a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of joy, and a kingdom of love with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For all those who love Jesus, that's what their end result will be in that kingdom. The kingdom of this world is ruled by Satan, but it will become the kingdom of our Christ when he takes full and final and complete rule in every domain and every sphere of influence. Isn't that a glorious hope? That's a powerful thing this world at the moment lies under the influence and the sway of Satan. But one day the Kingdom of Christ will rule every domain and rule every aspect of life without any rebellion whatsoever. It's a powerful motivation for us to carry out this mission of the Gospel. Currently we live in a world broken and fallen, marked by violence and evil on many, many fronts. Untold relationship breakdown, marked again by domestic violence and just massive arguments that are filled with anger and rage towards each other. We, we ourselves can embrace upon that. We, we get angry with each other. We're still dealing with this fall on us in our own lives. It's going to end one day. It's going to end one day. One day we will not have an evil thought or an evil desire anywhere within our minds, anywhere in God's kingdom. Jesus will reign as our King. It will be a kingdom known by its righteousness, its love and its perfect harmony in every conceivable way. We would do really well to think much on heaven, to think much of that glorious place where there will be no evil, there will be no disasters, there will be no sadness, there will be no pain. We would do much to think about that because what it does, it infuses glorious hope in us today as we think about this place coming. Not here yet but coming. And we'll have much to say on heaven in a few weeks' time when we get to that uh, beautiful passage as well. So what are, we, what are we to take away from Revelations ten, eleven? Uh, we have this message that's given to us, we have this mission of the church and we have this glorious motivation we've just seen there. This message, this mission and this motivation. We are fully aware of God's judgment to come, it's plainly before us again right here. But we're also aware in this church age that we are currently in, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rescue. Final judgment hasn't come yet in God's grace and mercy. We have this glorious mission before us. We have this opportunity to connect people to Jesus, to find salvation from the wrath that is coming. And I know that sounds really hard to say. That God is a wrathful God and He will bring His right anger towards the rebellion of this world. And we've got more to say about that in a couple of weeks' time. Jesus is sending us to be His hands and feet and mouth. And what a privilege to be able to do this. As much as it seems tiny and insignificant in the, sort of the context of this world. But that's the message and the mission that we have. And the privilege that we have. And mission won't always be gladly received by open arms. Or the message that we have won't always be gladly received by welcoming open arms. You saw there that that witness, the two witnesses there were actually being attacked, being the church, being sort of harassed for its mission. And there's an element there where the church actually gets extinguished just prior to this final judgment. It's not always going to be received with glad, welcome, open arms. The culture we live in is on a road that is actually constantly and consistently getting further and further and further and further away from who God is and the message of the Gospel. It will be hard. It will be difficult to stay the course for this mission. Sacrifice will be required to keep on this mission. Because of where we live and the culture we're in, constantly pushing us towards comfort and ease and just take it easy that culture will just continue to whisper into our ears you don't need to sacrifice you don't need to go do the hard things you don't need to make those really hard calls you don't need to say those difficult things to people just sit back and relax take it easy just enjoy your life that's the culture around about us Sacrifice will require us to realign our priorities in life. And realigning our priorities will be sacrificial. Because we all have within the power to live comfortable, sort of, you know, draw back from the culture or draw back from society. We, we have the power to do that. But that's not going to help the mission if we all be just pull back to our own little safe little haven and, and just keep everything to ourselves. We're not called to do that. We're called to actually go, sending you to open up their eyes. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the time where we can actually tell people, let them know that there is judgment coming. Not that we start there though, but we keep that in our minds. What will that do? That will require a sacrifice of our time and our energy and our possessions to make everything of available use to us to be used for God's glory in that uh, message, in that mission. It will take a realigning of our priorities. Coming home on the plane Thursday night, after the conference, she sort of come back fairly encouraged and stirred up. I remember sitting in the, uh, the lounge at Gold Coast, I said, Lord, please, give me an opportunity to share with somebody in the plane coming home. Now, everything within me just wanted to pull a book out and just read for the next two hours. I said, Lord, please give me an opportunity to share with somebody on the plane coming home. Got on the plane, I sat in the middle seat and I had two caravan salesmen sitting me, each side by side, each side of me. We engaged in conversation for the first five minutes and I looked across and my bloke's like this and the other bloke's like this. And I said, oh, okay. And I've like that for the next 40 minutes. And it got to an hour, then I said, righto, I'm praying, so Lord, help me to just try and knock up conversation. So I did. I saw one guy's eyes open up. I said, right, let's just jump in. So I did. I did. I said, what was your conference like? He went to a conference too. And he spoke for the next 45 minutes about caravanning, it was fantastic. He was very passionate about caravans. We got within about five minutes of landing in Melbourne. i think, oh, okay, this is not going where I thought it would. And he goes, oh, look, I haven't asked you what you do. Right. And I said, I teach the Bible. He said, you what? I said, I teach the Bible. What do you teach out of the Bible? In about five minutes, I had a great opportunity to share with him. So, again, it's just that opportunity of, Lord, help me to realign my priorities. Helping to realign my priorities. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, and someone gets squeezed into five minutes. But it's actually trying to just, what am I here for? It's this message, it's this mission that I'm on. Now, I don't know what will happen with that. We trust and see that God will use that for some in some way. It's going to take sacrifice, guys. It's going to take uh, reprioritizing for this mission to happen. Uh, again, us as a church, as we think about that today, uh, we're building, we want to build a permanent home Uh, for gospel ministry at EC and we see this now as a first order priority for us here as a church. What will this cost? This will cost us um, time, energy and finances. We see this gospel ministry centre a vital place to become a vehicle and a tool that God will use to be maximised for His glory to actually carry out this uh, mission, to proclaim this message This gospel ministry that we are embarking upon is going to require lots of us but I see this as something that God will use for His glory and for His praise and we are fast approaching that we need to make a move on doing some of these things, to be uh, motivated by the glories of Calvary, to be motivated by the hope that's within us, to be motivated for the hope that lies before us as well but also to be motivated by this. What we talk about here in Revelation isn't a fairy tale, It might sound like it's a crazy thing the way we read it, but it's real. It's really real. Judgment is real. Christ's salvation is real. And all of our family and friends who are outside of Christ will face a fierce God if they don't turn to Him. We don't want that. That's a motivation for me. I have this privilege that I can get to do that as difficult as it may be and it will be hard, it will be marked by sacrifice but the, the, the opportunity we have is to make such a difference for eternity in the lives of these people that you cannot put any price on that and it requires us to go out of our way to realign our priorities. Let me just finish here with this uh, true story about John Payton who was a missionary who went to the Isle of New Hebrides, we know it as Vanuatu. Uh, he was in Scotland, he was in a very comfortable place there doing life very well and he got motivated and moved by this mission and by this message to go to the New Hebrides and to begin to make a sacrifice of his life. And here's what he said because he received a lot of opposition a lot of opposition when he actually went to go there and it says this, in this quote here, "'Even Dr. Symington, one of my professors in divinity "'and the beloved minister in connection "'with whose congregation I had wrought so long "'as a city missionary, "'repeatedly urged me to remain at home. "'He argued that I was leaving certainty for uncertainty, "'work in which God may be greatly useful "'for work in which I might fail to be useful.'" And only throw away my life amongst cannibals. They were people who ate other people on this island of Vanuatu. John Payton replies to this man who's urging him not to go. Don't go. He says this, I replied that my mind was finally resolved, that though I loved my work and my people, yet I felt that I could lead them to the care of Jesus, who would soon provide them a better pastor than I, and that with regard to my life amongst the cannibals... As I had only once to die, I was content to leave that time and place and means in the hands of God, who had already marvellously preserved me when visiting cholera patients and the fever-stricken poor. On that score, I had positively no further concern, having left it all absolutely to the Lord, whom I sought to serve and honour, whether in life or by death. John Payton powerful picture here of the sacrifice that he made. Now if you read his story which I'd encourage you to go read his book, it is a fascinating biography. He lost his wife and newborn baby within about six months of landing on the island of Vanuatu. Two years earlier the ship that was travelling around the South Pacific was dropping off missionaries for each island and the ship dropped off two missionaries and they wait there till the missionaries land ashore and they've settled And as these two missionaries landed ashore, within two hours of landing ashore, they were clubbed to death and eaten by cannibals. And the rest on the ship watched that take place. And John Payton's going to the next island after seeing that. There's a massive conviction that grips their heart. Revelation is not a fairy tale. It's the truth. What are we living for? What's our focus in life? What are we prioritising with all that we've been given? Are we living for the hopes and the dreams of this world or the world to come? What's our focus? Who are we focusing on to share this message of Jesus Christ with? Let's pray. Father, thank you today as we come and open up these two chapters. Uh, Lord, in many respects, it can seem very confusing for us. Hard to read, difficult to understand. We pray, Lord, as we go through that now and we see what we believe is you calling us to be the witnesses to the truth of who Christ is. The church Lord, standing true, standing in love and standing in bold courage, sacrificially, Lord, taking this truth to the world because we don't want to see anybody have to face you or to to face the wrath of the Lamb. Father, we want them to see Christ crucified, rescued and saved from the wrath to come. I pray, Lord, help us to embrace this message. Help us to reprioritize our lives, Lord. Help us to refocus, just as John is trying to refocus these churches here. Not to get swallowed up by the context of the community or the culture we live in and to, as it were, retreat and recluse ourselves away from this. Help us with courage and boldness to move into that community, I pray. And to put ourselves at risk, whatever that might look like for each of the individual contexts and to be on this mission with this glorious message with a mighty motivation in our hearts of the hope that's been won for us. Father, today I do ask you to pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.